Hello and welcome to Storytellers of STEM. My name is Rachel Villani. Today's storyteller is Melissa Cuevas. She's a bench scientist in the Department of Orthopedics at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus uh, outside Denver. Uh, they, as a lab, study scoliosis and the genetics of how it happens and they're just trying to work out all the things about scoliosis that we don't know, which is a surprising amount, as I learned and you will learn. Um, I, one thing I thought was cool is that they use zebrafish sort of to um, learn more about all the different cellular aspects of scoliosis. Uh, so I thought that was cool. So um, I hope that you enjoy uh, Melissa's story of how she got to where she is and all of her research with scoliosis. And uh, yeah, enjoy. My name is Melissa Cuevas, um, and I'm a research assistant. I work at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus in the Department of Orthopedics, and the lab that I'm affiliated with, um, we study idiopathic scoliosis. So idiopathic because we don't know what causes it. Um, and a lot of people who are otherwise healthy have it, like 3% of the population. Um, which is like 9 million people in the States. Wow, <laughs> yeah, that adds up. Yeah, um, so anyway, we're, we're interested in the genetics and like mechanism of how it happens. So we study in cellular models um, and we also study it in fish actually, is oh. our uh, animal model. Um, the hypothesis, is that other animals, um, other conventional animal models, I guess, um, they're quadrupeds and the spinal decaudal load is much different than humans. Um, so actually like other labs also study the spine with fish, which like I had never heard of until I joined the lab. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, it's pretty much that and for for me in particular like i do a lot of the bench work um i like doing things uh -huh. the other four people really are really good and really fast at data analysis and writing and i just i like doing <laughs> so i yeah. just give them the data um and i and i do help with analysis and all of that but i just i guess i didn't realize um how flexible this field is and like you know it's kind of a big umbrella being a research assistant you could kind of pick your your specialty I guess and mine it just was everything about bench work and how figuring out how how it works um so how I got here I'll tell you right now I didn't think that I would ever be a bench scientist like yeah. ever so I was born in Indonesia in a city called Surabaya um, the second biggest city in Indonesia. Um, I lived there for 10 years and never thought about going out of the country. <laughs> um, I went to, I was raised Catholic. I went to Christian elementary school and growing up, like we were, we were quite fortunate. Um, we had enough. We have like too much, but we had, we had enough. Um, but, you know, I, I went to school, I had good grades, okay grades. Um, I liked math, I, I liked science. Um, one day, I mean, I knew that I, I knew I liked math for sure. Um, science was kind of out, of out of the question or so I was told. Um, back then, anyway, uh, I hope it's improved now, I've heard it's improved now. Um, but back then there weren't very many anti-discriminatory laws in Indonesia mm -hmm. and we are like my family is of Chinese descent so I watched a movie one day um in the movie person was sick um I was like seven maybe uh and I didn't understand why you know I don't know like everybody grapples with the concept of death around mm -hmm. around then <laughs> and I didn't understand why there was no cure for this disease um and I kind of said like, well, I'll find a cure one day for people who are sick. And my mom 
was, you know, she's very supportive and she was like, you know, I don't, I don't want to crush your dreams, but like, I don't know if that's going to happen here. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, it was disheartening. Um, but you know, then, then life went on and I still really like math, but like third grade was around when they introduced science in Indonesia and like, I really liked science. Um, but you know, there was a push to go into like business and accounting. <laughs> so I like math, so I was like student accounting. Um, and then, let's see, we moved to the States when, in 2003, which was frankly a really big miracle. Nobody thought that that would happen, especially after 9-11, like oh, two yeah. years prior. Um, my mom married a guy who she was pen pals with for like a few years. Wow. Um, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> so, you know, they, they met uh, in Korea. He came and visited us a few times. And it was like, well, we could move to the States. And I was all for it because I'd never seen snow. And that was the entire selling point. Like, <laughs> let's go to the United States of America because I will see snow. I didn't know that we were moving to Lafayette, Louisiana, which has no snow. <laughs> right. <laughs> I didn't know that part. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, you know, we, we got the visa to come here in like a year and a half was, was the whole process, which I was unheard of for, for a lot of people, us included. Um, we thought it would take like five years. Right, yeah. Minimum. Um, yeah, so then we came to the States, um, struggled learning English. Um, yeah, language was not a strong suit at all. <laughs> um but then uh when when we got to the states like especially around those times like middle school like they really made a big push for girls to do stem mm -hmm. and i was like oh this is you know this this might actually be a be a thing um to do something science really right i guess i didn't really know what uh the field is to make medicine. I assumed it was pharmacy. So for the longest time, I was like, I just want to be a pharmacist. Um, and, you know, we were in Louisiana for two years, um, right around actually like a week after Hurricane Rita was when we moved to Colorado um, because of a job, like my dad got a job in Colorado. Um, so it was like Hurricane Katrina and like three days later, Hurricane Rita. And then like, five days later we moved um a lot had, in a week <laughs> yeah which had nothing to do with the hurricane it just timeline kind of worked out like that um and then high school high school was really fun and i like i got really good grades i was a good student or so i thought i took multiple ip classes i never really took more than two at a time um but everything was everything was too easy in high school for me anyway. Like I felt like I didn't need to study. I never needed to study. Um, I focused a lot on social skills. And that was when the idea of medical school kind of entered my mind. Um, I was like, well, I, you know, I would rather work with people now, I think. Not that, you know, pharmacists don't work with people. Um, but I didn't realize like all this time that like the thing I wanted to do was research. Mm -hmm. um, and I assumed that research was boring, that you would just stare at your bench and on your tubes and do a bunch of pipetting and not talk to anybody and not ever talk to collaborators. <laughs> and you would never learn how to communicate with other people, which is like completely not the case. <laughs> so um, started thinking about going to medical school. Um, let's see. Yeah, so it, yeah, so high school was fun. High school was good. High school taught me how to talk to people and how to, you know, how to love people for who they are, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and went to do my college applications. I applied, I really like Colorado. So I applied to pretty much every public school in Colorado except for CU Boulder because the year that I started applying for school, for college, it was ranked as like the number one party school and I was like, super intimidated <laughs> scared and like there's 32,000 people and I'm gonna die so 
I decided to, to not apply to CU uh, during the regular admission period. And then my mom brought up the good point of, well, okay, so you're telling me that you're going to major in chemistry because AP Chem was the class that challenged you the most and you felt like you needed a challenge, so you're going to do chemistry as a major. And then the school has five Nobel laureates and you, you're not <laughs> applying to it because it's a party school. And I was like, yeah, well, yeah. I don't like I don't well yeah well you put it that way <laughs> yeah um but I'd miss the window to apply for like regular admission so I would have to apply as like rolling admission so if they had room well I went to see you on band so I played clarinet in high school I went to see you on band I met the recruiter and then like the next weekend actually no it was like a weekend and then like on Monday was state qualifier for for symphonic band and and then he approached me after our performance and he was like hey saw you at CU honor band heard your solo are you sure you don't want to apply to CU and I was like no I'm not sure <laughs> but I missed the window so I don't really know what to do about this um and he was like well here why don't you give me your email and you should apply tonight um and you're gonna apply as a double major to music and I was like, okay, here's, here goes nothing. And so I actually got into CU's music school uh, first and then got into arts and science later. <laughs> so that was a, a fun story of how I got to go to CU. And then I got to CU and like, I thought I was a good student. I thought I studied hard and like college was rough. <laughs> like nothing i took too many credits the first semester and i just never quite recovered and then the double major like didn't really work out so i ended up dropping the music major um i stuck with it though because i really liked what i was learning um i made like a, a pretty lateral switch because i still have a minor in chemistry but i switched to biochemistry which had like the same requirements except for three classes um but i really liked what i was learning um, it was a humbling experience, <laughs> um, but I was sold that that was the major for me and that was what I wanted to learn, even though I was not getting the grades I wanted to get, especially still having medical school in mind. And so, you know, reality check when I took the first MCAT, uh, I think it was senior year. And I didn't score, score very well. And I was never really a good test taker. Like all these things should have pointed to like, you know, research might be the way to go and not like pharmacy school and not medical school just because I like doing things and, and not very good test taking. Um, right, you know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after, after that result came, I was like, okay, I gotta go get a master's or something. Like there's no way I would, with this GPA and with that test score that I would like get any medical school's attention. Um, so at this point I was still thinking like medical school, I'm gonna go to medical school. Um, and then I enrolled in this program, this master's program called biomedical science and biotechnology. And it was, it was new. It was, a, it was the first cohort at University of Colorado Anschutz medical campus. And usually all the classes are held downtown like the Denver campus but this program was specifically out of the medical campus um and it then I found out that it was you know it was a good stepping stone for whatever professional you wanted to go into whether it be medical school or or PhD programs and so it was fitting to have it at the medical campus because then you'd get to network with all these people mm -hmm. um so I was like okay cool um there was a, an initial course called Core One, and if you don't pass it, you can't go on. And I didn't think I was gonna be able to go on, <laughs> um, but I passed somehow. Um, and, and then, you know, then after like eight weeks, that was like eight weeks, that was the first eight weeks, it met every day for two hours. I was also an EMT at the same time. Oh. So like right after college, I got a job as an EMT at this company, Stadium Medical. Um, great company to work for. <laughs> they were very flexible with my schedule also, but I was training, like I thought I wasn't gonna train for the ambulance 
for six months. That was like the normal, like, you know, you'll move up in six months from the wheelchair car. So I would just be in charge of people who are relatively healthy, potentially need oxygen transport from point A to point B. I can do that with grad school. No, it came to like August <laughs> and it was like three months after I'd started. And they were like, uh, yeah. So I think you're, you know, we think you're ready for, for the ambulance shift. And I was like, are you sure? <laughs> uh, I'm not so sure. Um, so anyway, that first semester I did graduate school and, and worked for the, the ambulance. Um, and honestly, like it, it was, it was a great <laughs> balance, I guess, learning things out of textbooks and also doing things that's not textbook, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, um, so I, I think it ended up, like, it, it was busy, but I thought it ended up being a good thing for my sanity. Um, and then after I passed that grueling, like, eight-week course, and then I finished my training, like, it happened at the same time, because why not? <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, it was around October when I was like, you know, I'm interested in stem cell research I don't know who to contact there was this professor who gave the lecture on stem cell I don't really know what to say I don't have any lab experience like I don't know what to tell him and you know it's kind of intimidating to talk to someone who who is someone and you're (laughs) you're no one (laughs) the conversation um so I emailed like the program coordinator and just was like hey um I don't know how to do this and so he sent an introductory email then I met with this professor and he was like well my particular lab right now doesn't really do a lot of um stem cell work but there's other lab I can you know there's a grad student I can give him your info you guys you can shadow him whatever you want to do well it is a small world and apparently this professor who I talked to his name is Dr. Bruce Apple he used to work at Vanderbilt University and he knew my aunt. So, Small world. Yeah, yeah, so that, you know, then because he told his story and he was like, yeah, I was at Vanderbilt. I was like, oh, I know someone at Vanderbilt. Oh, who is it? Then I told him and he was like, what? <laughs> I worked for her, I worked with her. So, <laughs> so that oh, was cool. Small world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so then I shadowed this grad student, so this random grad student, who is like super burned out and was like, I need to graduate. I don't know why I'm still here. Sure, you can shadow. Um, well, then his like mentor got really interested that this random person is shadowing his random student. So he was like, who's this? What are you doing? And I was like, I just don't know anything. And I thought I would watch. <laughs> um, so this, this lab uh, was a dermatology lab who studied a transcription factor called p63 and it caused like a defect in this gene causes um a genetic disorder with a really long name that i really should be able to pronounce (laughs) for short we'll just call it aec and eec (laughs) but um it causes like limb abnormalities and skin abnormalities and many many other things um so this this mentor was like okay well we shouldn't I should meet this this person you know and so I was like okay here's another somebody (laughs) I don't really know what to say um so at this point I went to like the actual director of the program the master's program and I was like hey I need a little help I don't know what I got myself into I don't really (laughs) know how I got here um I talked to a few people and then um then I shadowed this random student and then his principal investigator is now interested in meeting and I don't know what to say and I know I have to do an internship project for this master's program and I don't know if I want to do it with this lab but if they offer I probably won't say no (laughs) um because I don't know what I want to do frankly yeah and then um then program director also, you know, who's also the uh, associate dean of the graduate school just gives this guy a call and was like, hey, I have a student, you're gonna meet her. So I've heard. Um, so anyway, it really pays apparently to, to have good connections because the first thing that he said to me when we met was, you have friends in big places. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I don't know how that happened. 
happened either. But anyway, um, you know, then we started talking and he was like, okay, well, you're a student who doesn't know anything and I need all these things done and I'd, I'd give it a shot, sure. And um, so in that lab that I did not burn down, um, <laughs> I learned a lot of things. I mean, it was really, it was a hard internship. Um, just because I didn't know anything <laughs> more than more than any other reason, but um, but I'm glad I took it, and um, yeah, it really I feel like um, willingness to fail goes a really long way in science. <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. <laughs> um, I wasn't scared to fail, so um, yeah, so I did the internship for the remaining of the. Uh, master's program really like it was it was like a, a year and a half um and then since I only had like a year and a half experience when I, I had another friend um who was in the same program and so she was working in the orthopedics department and she was a student and she needed another research assistant I didn't know at the time that she was um uh like she was like one of two I think at the time um but she was really close with the lab manager. Like, so she just was like, we need another research assistant. Do you wanna, I mean, I don't know. Do you still plan on going to medical school? And I was like, I don't know. Um, but I would take a job. Um, and so, so then I got hired as a student assistant, like right before I graduated. And then, so that was 2017 and I've been there since. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think not knowing what you want to do and not like, you know, you want, you now know you wanted to do research, but research sounded boring. Right. It, like it does sound boring if you don't know what it is and it's hard to get to know what it is. Right. Before you try it. And then, right. you know, yeah. And then I, I tried it and I was like, I don't know why I thought this was not going to be a thing. And, you know, like there's, there's people working side by side and not, not every, I mean, like if you're doing something where you have to count, like, like a, like QRC, PCR is one, like you have to really know where you're putting your stuff. Um, you know, like you're allowed to, you're free to talk. <laughs> right. I guess I never really crossed my mind that, you know, other people might be doing something like Western blood washers that just kind of needs babysitting and you're doing something. And like it, it really does, I don't know. I, I made lots of friends uh, during the internship. Yeah, right. science isn't like done yeah. in isolation, though like the image right. of science is like some person with a computer or just one person right. in the lab, you know, but it really right. isn't done in isolation at all. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I think one of the things you said was that uh, you like latched onto the pharmacist thing. Uh -huh. and I think a lot of people do that like they don't necessarily know all the options out there but they pick something that they've heard of that's like kind mm -hmm. of what's in the field like I kind of did that too like oh I want to be a biologist because I biologists were living things and right living things but I didn't I didn't know there were other things out there at first <laughs> I think it's really common and I think it's interesting to see what things people latch on to while they're as they're like growing up and evolving as people right yeah yeah and I, I mean I have a few friends who are pharmacists and you know and like I have two friends who work at Walgreens um, and a few others who work at Kaiser, but you know, they're like, oh yeah, well, like we count meds and like we canned it out the people. And I'm like, oh, well, so, you know, which when I thought of a pharmacist when I was little, I guess I thought they were the people who actually make the stuff to hand out. And I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. How people, you just don't know. Like I didn't know you didn't know. Like it's just funny how people don't know, uh, but we're going to change that. <laughs> Who we're working on here um off topic but i was also in band i did not play clarinet though uh what did you play oh it was fine <laughs> i had fun though it was a good group of people uh was not you know get average musician but uh you know at any rate uh so you said it's scoliosis that y'all work on is that what you said yeah yeah, okay, so I have some questions about scoliosis, if that's okay. Okay, I'll try to answer uh, them. I don't know if I know anything. <laughs> yeah, my, my first question, okay, this is a basic question. Scoliosis is when like the spine 
bent like it's not at the right. correct angle or something yeah so it's a structural lateral curvature with rotation which is a really fancy word of just your spine is not curved the way it's supposed to curve because like the spine is not straight right but, like in some people like they go i think right thoracic is most common i believe um so like yeah so like they'll angle and then like it could go back so it could be bilateral i gotcha um yeah and then if it if it's severe enough you would have to do a spinal fusion is the well, only really treatment if it gets really bad um back well they still do like like surgeons still brace like there's a brace that you can wear um but that like you know like middle school is rough like high school is rough without like wearing a brace right <laughs> for 17 hours a day so like it's not ideal and it doesn't always um help in some cases mm -hmm. right um and then, yeah, and it's known to have some genetic component that we just don't quite understand because it is like if you look at a, if you look at like generations who have it and their kids, like you could trace it. Yeah, so some aspect of it is genetics, um, but it's probably not all genetics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I gotcha. Um, so how the fish part got me interested because I'm a, you know, wildlife fisheries person. Yeah. How do y'all use the fish or study this in fish or use how it works? Like, how does that work with the fish being involved? So, um, a few, yeah, a few, I could probably say a few. Um, so we, we have, um, there, there are labs who study scoliosis in, in fish and they, so the, this particular lab, um, found that there are cilia defects and cilia is a structure that every cell has and it's just like the antenna like mm -hmm. that senses the surroundings of the cells there's like two types of cilia but anyway we'll just yeah <laughs> uh so so they found that like defects in cilia you know may produce scoliosis and what they they pretty much found that like by making a fish defective in cilia genes and then the fish got curvy Oh, interesting. And so um, what we did in the lab is that like, so my, the principal investigator that I've worked for, she was at John Hopkins before she came to Colorado and she had started to scoliosis study like more than 20 years ago. So she has a bunch of DNA samples from families, from like really big families. Uh -huh. um, and like, you know, the generations after that. So like we have like pedigrees of families and then like we have samples of those families so then we did this thing called exome sequencing which is just to sequence the dna part that codes for protein mm -hmm. which um so like in doing that um there were some genes that you know we thought anyway the lab initially thought that like we would sequence 20 some families and then we would see genes that are shared between families and we would do a validation cohort of like 200 families and then like make sure but mm -hmm. exome sequencing is expensive right and then when we first see we sequence like five families followed by like 23 more families and like what we found was that it's not the same genes but it's like sim like it's genes that do similar things like so you can group them into functional uh -huh. genes um and cilia was a hit so then we were like, okay, well, there's this, you know, there's this other um, lab who did some work with cilia and they make curvy fish. And so like, if we took this pool of genes from these families um, that have something to do with cilia, maybe like we'll get scoliosis fish. And so um, we did a lot of real literature search <laughs> to figure out which, you know, cause I mean, there was like a hundred genes and like, you right, can't, yeah. Yeah, that's too much. Um, so then we, we narrowed it down to just a few genes and then we did this, um, we did a genetic modification to, to the fish. And so it's a technique called CRISPR-Cas9, which you may know about. I have heard of CRISPR, yeah. Yeah, so we did CRISPR to not, to basically break that gene to see what happens in the fish. And then they did get scoliosis, so. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. So, uh, do, are there any animals 
that get scoliosis or is it just people humans so fish does like there's a rate of scoliosis in fish um and then like if the fish is like super unhealthy like if there there is a bacteria of some sort that makes fish get curvy so like you have to like beware of of that and so the fish mm. facility is regulated so that that doesn't happen <laughs> um but um I, we know we know of studies done in mouse that the mouse do get scoliosis, but they don't get scoliosis naturally, which was what mm-hmm. I think initially turned us off against using mouse. However, like genetics wise, like we are closer to mouse. Like right. yeah, yeah, the homology is better. So there's a, a balance, I guess you gotta gotta pick. Yeah. Right, you gotta just make that decision one way or yeah. another. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I didn't know that the rate was that high. Would you say at the beginning? Yeah, it was. It's like about two to three percent of the population. Yeah. That yeah, because like, quick. yeah, like my sister has scoliosis. My husband has scoliosis. Like I don't have scoliosis, but like I mean, it is. Yeah. Huh. And you're not considered positive, at least in the. There's different benchmarks. I think in the in Europe it's like 15 degrees, but in the in the states it's 10 degrees. If if it's over 10 degrees, then you eat you're considered positive Um, yeah that's interesting too that the parameters are different like between yeah (laughs) yeah and i don't i don't actually know what led to that because i've i've wondered that because there there are some talks that say 15 and i'm like i thought it was 10 yeah what about that person that's 11 and now they're yeah now they're there and right and it seems maybe like a little arbitrary anyway but uh yeah at the way everybody's the same number. Yeah, and the way there's there's this technique that you use to measure it's called the Cobb angle. Um, but uh, I mean, they usually measure off X-rays, and like, yeah, I don't know. I I would think the standard deviation is not more than five degrees. I mean, I don't know. But yeah, that's interesting. So, uh. I wrote notes while you were talking. Um, when you said you said that seeing snow was something that like was like a big selling point for you. Uh-huh. Um, we, did you finally get to see snow when y'all moved to Colorado? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were waiting payoff. <laughs> yep, it did. Um, but yeah, two years later when because um, then my 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 dad got that job. We had visited Colorado like the spring before mm-hmm. or something and so we went to Rocky Mountain nice. National Park and saw a bunch of snow and I was like why are we not living here that's like that's coming soon I, um, I ask myself that question every time I fly out of Denver and come home <laughs> <laughs> I wonder that same question <laughs> um yeah I come out there quite a bit I have friends that live in Fort Collins and oh, okay. um, some friends in Denver it's so up in a normal year, I'm out there a couple times a year, probably. Um, oh, okay. Oh, man, Rocky Mountain's one of my favorite places. But every time I'm like, why do I have to leave the land of, like, dry air and topography and go back to <laughs> flat, humid Louisiana? <laughs> nice out here. Yeah, actually, I have a friend who works at uh, Ann Shoots. I think I said that right. I don't know if I know what department she's in. Anyway, her name's Julia Dirk. She was on, like, episode four of our podcast, but she's oh. at Ann Shoots. Yeah, okay. which is cool. So it's kind of a small world there too. Yeah. I'd never heard of it until I met Julia, but now I know all about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So I also wanted to go to, um, is it CU Boulder or UC Boulder? Because in my head, I'm hearing it's both It's CU. Of them. Yeah, I know. I thought, I thought it was UC also for the longest time. Yeah. So um, when I was getting out of high school, um, I really wanted to go to CU Boulder. And that was one of the places I wanted to go. And I like and in for because this was I got out of high school in 03 so I was like okay for application time still you know so I sent it for application never got it did it again never got it so I never did apply uh, then I went to LSU also a massive party school uh, <laughs> you know but uh you know uh I've, I went to a training at that campus in Boulder and it's a beautiful campus yeah it, it, it awesome really is yeah, there's a very good view of the Flatirons right outside of, like, by the quad, like, where the library yeah. is. And so people will just stop, like, if it snows, 
you know, in the mountains, um, or like even by us, because like if it's snowing actively, then people won't, will stop less because they probably they don't want to get their snow all over their phone. I don't know. <laughs> but if it's not actively snowing, it, you know, it's snowing in the mountains, like everybody takes a picture of like right yeah. there, and like I know where it is too. Like you know, you see all our Facebook. Like I know where you're standing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the training I did, we actually had a, one of the days was in the library on like the third floor or something. Uh, so I know nice. exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, I was trying to think, what what fish do y'all use? Like what species? Oh, we use zebrafish. Zebrafish. Yeah, like we I... use zebrafish because like the genome yeah. is annotated. So like, oh, what does that it's, mean? it's mapped. Like, you know, oh. what chromosome, what gene is and like it's oh. pretty, it's pretty mapped out. And so you could at least, you would at least be able to know like if, if this gene in human also exists in fish. Because, mm -hmm. you know, like if, if it exists in fish but not in humans, there's not really a point. <laughs> right, yeah. And if, if you're trying to study a human disease and then like the fish doesn't even have that gene, then you can't study it in fish. Right, which yeah. You'll run into less problems with maths on, in this department, but. I got you, um, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I feel like I had to learn what a zebrafish is at one point in my wildlife and fisheries degree, but they're little, right? Like they're not yeah, they're little. Yeah. And they're it's it's convenient because I, I mean I got like hundreds, you get hundreds <laughs> of eggs like per cross, whereas like yeah. with the mouse you get like five or six. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Takes forever. Um, yeah, yeah. More yeah. samples or subjects or however you phrase yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. So and then you said in the beginning that you do a lot of um, lab work. Is it just with fish or do they also do cellular stuff too? Because I think you might have said that, but I'm not sure. Yeah, um, so we, well, we're, we're in the middle of trying to revamp the cellular project. Um, but I had mentioned that the exome sequencing data, like um, actin, oh, sorry, uh, cilia was, uh, was something that came up a lot. Like we found a lot of genes that had something to do with it. Uh, cilia. We also found a lot of genes that have something to do with actin, um, which is like what holds the shape of the cell. Um, and so we thought we would study that in cells. Um, and then we were kind of debating, you know, like we were kind of debating which cell line to use. And then like we're still trying to figure out all of that, <laughs> um, like where to go with that project, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's like, yeah, there's so there's some some cell stuff. And then um, right now, like there's a lot of fish stuff. And then um, the principal investigator of the lab. So like my boss, she's an orthopedic surgeon. So we also have like a, a research assistant who's dedicated to like clinical coordinator. So like oh. she would look at all the, she would look at the like cases of surgeries that's coming and see like you know if anybody has idiopathic scoliosis who would like to participate in the study and then we would just collect the uh, gotcha. yeah dna sample yeah yeah so that kind of leads to my next question i was trying to figure out in my head how to phrase it but all all i know about orthopedics is like um i know people who have had back surgery and stuff like that or a spinal fusion that's like uh -huh. the only thing i know about orthopedics so I was trying uh -huh. to figure out like how this, I guess, relates, like, how it all ties in as one big picture. But then I just now remembered that you did say that sometimes spinal fusions is like a treatment, I guess, for scoliosis. I don't know if that's the right word, but yeah, so, um, kind of how it all ties together, I guess. Yeah. So um, yeah. So you would. So if you have like a like a curve that's forty degrees or more, like, and it it'll start. If, you know, it'll start affecting like breathing, right? Yeah, that's and like other that. stuff. Like so, yeah. um, and then it's really hard to tell whether or not. But like when a kid just barely has a curve, mm -hmm. usually starts in um, adolescence, like growth spurt, like it's correlated with growth spurt. Um, it's really hard to tell whether or not like this kid is gonna progress or like yeah. is it gonna stop. Like you kind of have to make a judgment call as a physician, and like it's not an easy call to oh, make because sure. yeah you know and like in a few months on your follow-up then all of a sudden like this kid who you thought was okay like was not okay which was like the point of studying idiopathic scoliosis like was initially to come up with some kind of a gene panel so that maybe you could just like screen the kid for yeah any genetic defects and whatever 
eliminate um, some of the yeah benefits. and so then you'd be like okay well this kid only has like a 10 degree curve right now but this one's probably going to progress because of what we found out from yeah um, their genetics so yeah but yeah so like but what you said though like it brought up a a, a good point because like i thought that like idiopathic like it or, sorry that orthopedics was just bone like it was just yeah, bone. I, I just don't know right like, yeah and i was like so you know just just like when i was in dermatology like i thought it was just skin you know like you would you would only care about skin but like but that like i'm increasingly finding that that's not really the case because even like so there's seven one two three four there's nine nine i think um and growing um principal investigators under orthopedics and like wow. there is a lab studying osteoarthritis and like diet oh which I would, like you wouldn't think that i don't i, mean, I didn't yeah think that would, be correlated at all um and like there is a lab studying um the gut microbiome and how it affects osteoarthritis which like was a yeah for me <laughs> yeah um and even like in dermatology like that transcription factor you know i was like okay well it's a transcription factor that kind of has something to do with skin but like the, this the underlying disorder that it causes like is so much more than skin defects mm. I like you. I don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, it is. It is. Um, it's interesting because, like, you know, you'd think that it would it would just be this one thing, but like, yeah. but it's it's not. So, like, it's it's I guess part of the intriguing how why science is so intriguing because it's like, well, you could just study bone, or you could study cartilage because it would make bone, or you could study like mesenchymal stem cells which make cartilage and bone, and you're like, I don't know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, the road just keeps going, right? Like, as more yeah. as you get interested and learn new things, you just keep going down the path. Yeah. But I think that's one of my favorite things just in general about science research is that, like, as you learn something new, you also come up with all these questions. Yeah. Right, we've, we've solved this thing, but now we have seven more questions. Exactly. Yeah. And it kind of taught me to, like, not really, you know, because, like, I don't know, like, bench work, speaking like everybody pretty much does similar things you know like i didn't i guess i didn't really go into the field not not that i knew what i was doing but i didn't really think of like well i don't want to study dermatology because i'm not interested in skin like i didn't it yeah. didn't turn out that it was a field that i didn't know anything about because it's like well it might be applicable to whatever it is that i end up doing and it, and it was like that one year and a half of internship did like do wonders like when i got to the lab in orthopedics i was like i know how to do yeah. this this and this yeah i imagine a lot of those skills would be translatable from uh lab to lab yeah. but that like your your goals would be different but the skills would be similar at least some of them yeah i i say that because just as a field biologist i maybe am not always like collecting the exact same data or for the exact same reason mm -hmm. but like some of the skills are the same um even if the project is different. So it seems like that would be true in a lab as well. Yeah. Not knowing, having never spent a day in a lab. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and communication is, is important, which I think is like what we lack, like as a scientific community, like yes. people don't, I don't know. Like, I, I think like, I mean, even, even when I, growing up, I was like, well, you know, before, before I learned how to talk to people, I guess. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't like talking to people and like, like, there's no need, like, you'll be busy doing pharmacy things, you know, yeah. at that time, I thought, um, <laughs> you don't need to talk to people, but like, you, you know, it's, it's becoming more and more evident to me that like, if you don't know how to communicate what you're doing, like, mm -hmm. nobody's gonna care. <laughs> right. And communicate in a way that like the average person can understand it, at least understand the basics, you know, yeah. what's happening. I think you're right. I think that that's like, a big problem just in science in general like scientists are usually like not always the most outgoing social people yeah know, people people whatever um not that there aren't outgoing scientists like that but um you know it's just not something that's like taught in the sciences like maybe we right. should have to do maybe we should take public speaking or like some sort of informal writing, not scientific writing, you know, and like learn how to adapt things to like someone who doesn't speak our little bubble of language. Right. All of our lingo and acronyms and everything. Um, 
I, I don't know how we fix that, but. Uh. Yeah, so the department that, so this early phase department, like we have a weekly or bi-weekly meeting called work in progress and like we're encouraged to present our stuff, like whether or not it's done or whether or not it's uh -huh. good or whether or not it's just an idea right now just so that we know how to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is really important. Um, but like, it, it is scary, you know, cause, cause really like you're the expert at your mm -hmm. topic, but like we are trained to be skeptical and right. to question everything. And so like, you know, including yourself. Right? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and so it's a little scary to, to go up in front of a group of people who, who are scientists. Mm -hmm. And so like, I know, my time slot was supposed to be coming up, but I, I don't know how that's gonna go now that right, uh, yeah. pandemic is happening. But um, but I remember, you know, like we were all skeptical initially with this idea of like having to present every other, you know, one person present every other mm -hmm. week, um, which would equal like, I think I think you would present like twice a year is, is the yeah. math that came out. But you know, we were like, what are you talking about? We have to present twice a year? Like, I don't wanna do that. Like, I'm yeah. busy doing bench stuff. Like, I don't wanna talk about what I'm doing. You don't care anyway. And it's like, well, if you learn how to communicate it, you know, they probably would care. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's a lot to be said for like presenting your stuff in like a bit of an informal way. Like maybe that's not the most informal, but just like us just talking about what we do because we don't do the same science is helpful right. because like you're going to pick up on different things that I do or have questions about and vice versa. Um, and I right. just find that to be helpful. Like I understand a lot of it, but I don't understand all of it. And so, yeah, uh, and you've done great. I mean, obviously you've done a great job, but like being able to communicate just with like a regular non-scientist or a scientist in a different field, I think is oh man that's a that's a big skill to learn um, yeah i'm still learning i still am like how do i explain things like subsidence to people like i don't because that word can mean different things in different fields you know? <laughs> so it's yeah it's, it's tricky trying to distill like complex things that you are like so entrenched in that you don't necessarily always explain it to somebody you're talking to but then have to explain some complex thing to somebody who happens to be listening it's a lot it's a big skill yeah, yeah definitely and also not get like nervous and shy and right and then you question yourself and so like you're talking and then you sound like you're not sure and then they're like are yeah. you sure and you're like well no um <laughs> right yeah, if you put me on like a stage or just in the front of a room or something, I am going to just like ramble and be the most awkward person out there. And it's not going to be pretty. Uh, even if I'm like the, the expert, like you said, uh, it's, a, it's tough. Public speaking is important. Yeah. It's only one person. Yeah. It needs to be like a communication for scientists to be less sciencey or something. Yeah. <laughs> There was, a, they also tried this, I think it's still going on, like, I think once every so often we'll see flyers about, like, three minute, three minute TED Talks or something like that, oh, and yeah. so you have, yeah, you only have, like, I think you can only have five slides or six slides, um, and it can only have so many words on it, and you have three minutes to explain something. That's and, interesting. Yeah. Um, it's like speed dating, but science. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, and, and then, like, I, they they made it into a whole competition <laughs> so yeah i've never been brave enough to join but apparently yeah, i would i wouldn't be either don't worry. <laughs> i would be petrified uh and spend the whole time going uh yeah <laughs> oh, man well it's been awesome talking to you um is there anything else you want to share about what you do or your journey or anything because you you took quite the path <laughs> um but it was an interesting story and i liked that uh i think that pretty much covers it yeah yeah That's i don't cool. get any more questions i yeah. i really like what i do it's it's really fun and it's a really cool group of people um i right now it's all girls we did have oh, a, interesting. yeah right we did have a, a med student who is a guy who has moved on um, to do middle know. school things. Um, and we had one master's student who was a guy. Um, but yeah, but, like this lab have... has been all girls. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, my my work group is all women as well, which yeah. is my boss and my couple of coworkers. 
uh, which is really interesting. Um, do you always all have like the same backgrounds or is it all over the place? Um, I don't think so. I think like, so me and now the, so the friend who got me the job, who is now lab manager. Um, so we had the same, we became from the same program, but she already had this job before. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, and like she had an associates before and all that. Um, so she had been like in lab work for a while. And then there was another, there's another research assistant who I think her, she majored in biology. And then I, I think this, the other one, like the, like currently the coordinator who consents all of our like patients. I think she was also biology. I don't remember. I think I'm the only one with, with chemistry, with biochem. Yeah. I, I think everybody curious. else is biology. Yeah. yeah. I was just curious because, um, yeah, in my in my little group, we all do a similar job, but we all have different degrees, but they're all related. They're just uh -huh. like, fisheries. Someone is just biology, uh, so, you know, related, but uh, yeah, I was just curious. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, it's been awesome talking to you. Yeah. It's great talking to you too. Yeah. And to me virtually. Right, because exactly. <laughs> this is the way we meet people these days <laughs> in this uh, March 2020 weirdness we live in. All right. Yeah. Well, when, when travel gets reinstated again and you come to Denver, let me know. <laughs> oh, probably the first place I go, honestly. I will definitely let you know. Awesome. Well, thank you and uh, have a good rest of your evening. You too. I hope you enjoyed hearing uh, today's storyteller. And if you want to find out more, I share a bunch of information and resources from every storyteller over on the podcast Facebook page. So go find us and like us. It's called Storytellers of STEM on Facebook. You can also find the same information and stuff on my Twitter at Flying Cypress, F-L-Y-I-N-G-C-Y-P-R-E-S-S on Twitter. I'll share all kinds of information and resources from each storyteller over there. Um, and if you would like to be on the podcast, I'm always looking for STEM storytellers. So if you have a story you'd like to share, uh, message me on Facebook or Twitter or check out my website, rachelvillani.com slash podcast. And there's a submission form and it will send info to me and then I will get in touch. So if you want to be on the podcast, hit me up. Thanks for listening.